the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We don't lean backwards. We don't walk backwards. Our arms don't swing backwards. We were created by our God to move forward because that which is behind you is not as nearly important as that which is before you. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. In the fall of the year, in the northern part of our country, bears begin to assume and consume massive amounts of food. We know that they're doing this in preparation. Winter is coming, a season of hibernation, a time where it may appear that they're asleep, but they're not. That's not what hibernation is. Though the heartbeat of the bear slows to eight beats a minute. Now, just think about that. To see them visually, you would assume that perhaps they're dead, if not at least dormant, of no danger. But that's not the case. They can do anything they choose to do in this season of hibernation. They can get up and walk around. And when they do, it begins with a rustle. And then comes the roar. And then that big bear, that dangerous creature, is on the move. There are moments in our life where we think that perhaps God is dormant, that he's asleep, that he doesn't hear us, that he doesn't see us, that he doesn't care about us. As we begin this series of messages on the life of Moses, I want you to see that that is never the case. In fact, our God is alive. Our God is aware and our God is on the move. So often it's in the moments of drought and desperations, moments like what we are even feeling in these days and in this season that God chooses to work. That's what Isaiah said. As he, the prophet of God, in Isaiah 44, 3 says, I will pour out water to quench your thirst and to irrigate your parched field. And I will pour out my spirit on your descendants and my blessings on your children's when things seem hopeless. When the drought has come, when we think there is no God present and listening, we are ripe for a move of the Holy Spirit of God. And we're ready for his blessings. And that's my prayer today. Even so now, come Lord Jesus, give us what we need. Meet us where we are. The children of Israel in the Old Testament certainly felt this throughout their history. They felt that God was not listening, that he was not with them. 
That's certainly the case at the beginning of the book of Exodus, and that's where you'll find our Bible reading for today in the next several weeks. I encourage you to have a copy of scriptures in whatever format that you have and have something to take note with, whether that's your thumbs on your device or a pen, pencil, lipstick, mascara, Crayola on a piece of paper or the back of your hand. The title of this book, Exodus, means to exit. It's a departure. It's leaving the past behind. That alone should cause us to break into applause as we've just come out of 2020. We're ready to put the past in the past. And then came 2021. Or as someone said this week, December 37th, 2020. We entered a time in which we recognize that even in the present, things are difficult. A great lesson in life and an indicator of spiritual maturity is when we understand how to live in the present without being controlled by the past. Moving on. In fact, the Bible scholar F.B. Meyer put it this way, it is a mistake to always be turning back to recover the past. The law for Christian living is not backward, but forward. For experiences that lie behind, but for doing the will of God, which is always ahead and always beckoning us to follow. I would suggest to you today, Christ follower, that the answer to what we're facing in our society and this world is not by looking past and trying to fix the problems of yesterday, but by moving forward and asking God to go with us as he leads us to a better and a brighter future. The reality is that we were created to go forward. You see that in everything about our lives. We lean forward. The older we get, the more we lean. We don't lean backwards. We don't walk backwards. Our arms don't swing backwards. We were created by our God to move forward. Everything in our life demonstrates this. When you get in your car, you'll notice that the rear view mirror or in a more modern car, the rear camera is much smaller than the windshield because that which is behind you is not as nearly important is that which is before you. God created us to go forward. We're a forward-moving people, and the book of Exodus tells us how to go forward. The theme of this book is the deliverance of God. That's something else that we can amen, is it not? We recognize that need to be delivered, that need to be saved, that need for more than what we're experiencing in the moment. How could you watch the events of this week and not cry out, Oh, God, help us! Oh, God, show up. Oh, God, deliver us. Every God-fearing person believes we need deliverance. Exodus also has some other themes. It gives us our first look at God's moral code. And yes, as God-fearing people, we believe there is a moral code. We are a moral people. We believe there is right and wrong. And I would tell you that's going to be vitally important in the days ahead that you continue to stand for what is right and wrong, not based on the opinions of men, but on the mandates of God. God's word in Exodus also teaches us an order of worship. In fact, you could say one of the primary themes of this book is that we know God. We understand him for who he is. He wants to be known by us. And then there's a primary character of the book of Exodus. We know him by the name Moses. And he's quite a character. We see his life divided into, four, into three parts. Forty years he spent in Egypt. Forty years he spent in the desert of Midian. And then 40 years he spent 
in wilderness wanderings. He's quite a character. Someone said he spent 40 years learning to be something. He spent the next 40 years learning to be nothing. And then he spent the next 40 years proving that God was everything. We read about him because he's the author of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And that book, Deuteronomy, ends with these words about Moses. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the, whom the Lord knew face to face. His name was on the lips of Jesus and on the lips of the apostle Paul. And so his name should be on our mind as we try to reflect God's character in our world and live a forward-looking life. So here we go. We finally made it to Exodus. Now, in English grammar, we're taught that it's not appropriate to begin a sentence with the word and. That's an English idea. In the Hebrew, it was not that way. In fact, if you were reading the book of Exodus from the Hebrew Bible, it would begin with that little conjunction, and. And so we're going to do that because it's significant that you understand why it's a continuation, why that conjunction is there. And the reason is simple. This is a continuation of God's story. Exodus begins after Genesis ends. It begins with that continuation. How did Genesis tell God's story? Well, it began with the creation. God made everything and said it was good. He created mankind and said it was very good. And he created man and woman to fellowship with him and worship with him. But that relationship was broken by our great-grandparents in the garden because of sin. And ever since then, God was in the process of building covenants with his creation so that they could relate to him. You remember some of those, right? He had a covenant with Noah, and that covenant was capsulized in an ark. And God delivered Noah and his family through that ark. God developed a covenant with Abraham, and that covenant lasted through Abraham's very long life and resulted late in years with a child. God continued that covenant with that child, with Isaac, and with his son, Jacob. And then we make the dreamer, Jacob's son, Joseph. And a large part of the last part of Genesis is about the life of Joseph in Egypt. This brother, son of Jacob, who was thrown into a pit, but finds his way into a palace as a leader in Egypt. And Genesis ends as Joseph's brothers have come to him. They recognize now that he's in power. They fear for their lives. And Joseph says to them in Genesis 50 and verse 19, do not fear for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive just as they are today. And so there at the, at the end of the book of Genesis, we see this principle that carries over even to Romans 8, 28, that God is always in the process of watching over us and working for our good and his glory, even when we don't see him. Notice how Genesis ends. Genesis 50 and verse 24, Joseph says to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will visit you. 
God will visit you. Hey, say this with me today. Say, God will visit me. God will visit me. He says, God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And then then Exodus 1 begins, and these are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt. So you see our stories continuing in Egypt. I've been to Egypt. I've seen those great pyramids of Giza, one of the only seven wonders of the world that is still standing. Those pyramids built likely around 2560 B.C., And yet these events we read about in Exodus chapter 2, probably about 1,000 years earlier. The only one of the seven wonders, those pyramids, are an example of the prosperity, the power, and the influence of that land of Egypt. And so there in Egypt with Jacob and each of his household were Reuben and Simeon and Levi and Judah and Issachar and Zebulun and Benjamin and Dan and Naphtali and Gad and Asher and all the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. So we start out in, in Egypt with this family of Joseph, the, the sons and their families of Jacob, and it's about 70 people. But notice what happens. Then Joseph died. And all his brothers in that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and they grew exceedingly strong. So the land was filled with them. You see what's happening? God's fulfilling his covenant. He's continuing his promise that he made to Abraham and then to Isaac and then to Jacob. And now through Joseph, the people of Israel, this is the first time they were called a people. The people of Israel, still in Israel today, God's covenant people. But then notice how the plot thickens in verse 8. Now there arose a king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And oh, dear brothers and sisters, there is a great important lesson for us in that verse. As God-fearing, Christ-honoring people, we must never put our ultimate hope in human leaders of this world. They will always let us down. We are citizens of another kingdom, and our only lasting hope is in our king, the king, the king of kings. As we face the events of this week, that's so important. Men, women of this world, we will let each other down. We're not perfect. We're sinful. And sometimes our sin will bring great consequence. Sometimes it's lighter consequence. But we always sin on this side of heaven. Our ultimate hope is not in one another. Our ultimate hope is in our Savior. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. 
That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. This evil king, he had three parts to his evil plan. First, he wanted to enslave the adults of the Jewish population. And so he enslaved them politically. He enslaved them economically. He enslaved them socially. He enslaved them spiritually. You think you're going through a difficult time. Just think about that. Think about what it was like to be under that burden. But that wasn't the end of his plan. He planned to kill the Jewish babies when they were born. But you're going to see that that didn't work. So he determined to drown the newborn babies once they were born. He resented God's people. He rejected God's promises. He resisted God's plan. And this shows us what a world looks like when we push God aside. And that's why we must do whatever it takes, wherever we are, to shine with the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. When we push God aside, suspicion arises, hatred arises. We focus on the color of our skins. We lack trust in one another. Brother turns against brother and all hell breaks loose. But in the midst of this, God is on the move. Say that with me. Say God is on the move. God's raising up a mediator, a deliverer, one who would take his people out of the land of Egypt and set them free. Does this sound familiar? I hope you're seeing that God's telling a story from the beginning of the book to the end of the book. His plan is salvation of his people. His plan is to set us free. His plan is for you not to be in bondage, not to sit up under the burden and the yoke of slavery, but to find freedom in the son of God and Jesus Christ. One of the greatest truths I'm learning as I grow older with each passing day is the importance of trusting the providence and the sovereignty of God. I don't understand it because I very much believe that in his image, we are created with the freedom of will to make choices that can even hurt us. And yet I equally believe that God is a sovereign God who works in great providence. Do you remember what the providence of God is? It's the hand of God over the arc of history. It means that even when we don't see him, he's moving. Even when we don't feel him, he's moving. Even when we don't understand it, he's moving. Our God is on the move. He's got this. So the evil plot continues. Look at verse 15. This king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other Puah. You don't like your name. Just be glad your name's not Puah. When you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it's a son, you shall kill him. If it's a daughter, you shall let it live. The order is clear. When the baby is born, take their life immediately. This would really be a late-term abortion. It's exactly what that is. But the midwives feared God. The midwives feared God. The Bible says that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. You've got to decide at some point in your life who or what you're going to fear. Because you're going to live by the fear of man or you're going to live by the fear of God. You're going to live by the fear of what could happen to you, or you're going to live by the fear of God. You're going to live in fear of the circumstances of this life, or you're going to live by the fear of God. You've got to decide. Place here. They did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them. 
but they let the male children live. Now, this is not the point of our story, but I need you to see a couple of things. This is the first recorded act of civil disobedience in Scripture. Sometimes you don't do what you're ordered to do if it goes against what God told you to do. Second thing I want you to see is God notices when you stand up for what's right. This is not a minor point in Exodus chapter 1. We don't know the name of the Pharaoh. Historians argue about that. We can guess at it, but we don't know his name. But we know the names of Shifra and Puah. You know why? Because they did what was right. Because it's always right to do what's right. And God notices when you do what's right. See, when you have the confidence of the providence of God, you gain the courage to obey the plans of God. And the courage of these two ladies emboldened the king. And so he ordered now that the Hebrew babies that were born be retrieved and thrown into the river. Now you're finally getting to the point where you're thinking, oh, they're about to tell me about Moses. And that's exactly what's going to happen. Look at Exodus chapter 2. God is on the move. Even as the enemy moves, even as our story moves, God is on the move. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took his wife, a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket. Now, <laughs> you just got to know this. Would you believe there's only one other time in Scripture that that Hebrew word is used? That word for basket, you know when it's used? It's used to describe what Noah built, an ark. God's always on the move. God's always in the process of delivering his people. God's always in the business of bringing us through. So this basket was made of bulrushes and it was daubed with bitumen and pitch. And she put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done with him. Now the daughter of the Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young woman walked beside the river. And she saw the basket among the reeds and sent the servant woman and she took it. And when she opened it, she saw the child and behold, the baby was crying and she took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews children. Then the sister said to the Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew woman to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother and Pharaoh's daughter and said to her, take away this child and nurse him for me and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. And she named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. Do you see it? Coincidence, right? <laughs> no. Providence? Yes. The hand of God. Even when you don't see him. Even when you don't feel him. Even when you think your life is crumbling before you. The hand of God over the arc of your history because God is on the move. Say God is on the move. But the plot thickens. <laughs> One day Moses had grown up. Now we know Moses has grown up because Exodus just tells us, but Exodus is not going to tell us much more than that. We learn from the book of Acts in the 
speech that the deacon Stephen gives before he's stoned that Moses was about 40 years old at this time. So he's come to that first phase of his life where he was raised in the palace. He was educated. He was likely a military leader, a powerful person. Now, some historians speculate that this Pharaoh was Ramses. If it were, then he probably had 60 children. So the reality is Moses would not be like second in line, but he would be very important. People would know when he would walk into the room, or in this case, when he would walk down the road. Notice what happens. He went out to the people and he looked on their burdens. He saw his people and he saw his burdens. People who are the children of God need to be concerned about the children of God. Even when we are different, even when we come from different backgrounds, this should be a place where we come together and we recognize that we are one. A deeply divided world desperately needs to see a united church. We must be one. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. And join us weekdays at 9 a.m. for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk, a.m. 570 and 910. 